Happy Monday. Welcome to episode seven of the Sneak Preview. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Austin Johnson. And this is our newest podcast dedicated to following the current film release calendar. It's cold as shit here in San Antonio, and we've got three films to talk about today. As our appetizer, we have Robin Wright's directorial debut, Land, and Nicolas Cage's outlandish horror comedy, Willie's Wonderland. Then, of course, for our main course, Shaka King's incredible Fred Hampton biopic, Judas and the Black Messiah. Going to be a killer, fully loaded episode today. But first, let's see what happened last week in film. Last week in film. First up, uh, two trailers to talk about. One that debuted during the Super Bowl, Old, the new horror thriller from M. Night Shyamalan set for release in theaters on July 23rd. So Shyamalan's got a bit of a spotty record, as we are well aware of. Uh, I want to be excited, but his track record is pretty, uh, you know, it's like 30, 70. <laughs> it's not great. Something, something like that, yeah. So he's all concept. Uh, execution's not usually too good. What do you think about old? Did you get a chance to see that little 30 second <laughs> clip? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen it. I didn't really pay attention much to the, to the Super Bowl. I was working that night, but I've seen that, that, that clip, like you said, the 30 second one. I just don't care too much about his, uh, his stuff in a way where I need, need to see it right away. Uh, it's more like I'll find it my own time. Uh, there's some stuff I like, you know, Sixth Sense and The Village. There's some stuff to offer, but for the most part, I think it's a lot of misses. Yeah, and this is just something that sounds like it could be cool. You know, a bunch of people go to the beach and find their kids have gotten like 10 years older in two minutes and they want to know why. All right, I'm intrigued, but knowing him, it's going to be like aliens from the future or some shit, and I just don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm hesitant. I'm skeptical. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, it's not a must see that Friday. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, next up, the final trailer for Zack Snyder's Justice League director's cut releases on HBO Max on March 18th. And I gotta say, after this trailer, I'm fucking psyched. I, <laughs> this looks very exciting. Yeah, we're gonna do we're gonna do something on, on this movie, of course, and just gonna be a uh, I'm going to have to separate a whole day for that movie, you know, <laughs> four hours of justice league. I've, and it looks like it makes me wonder, like the original, so Zack Snyder was the original director of the, of justice league before family tragedy forced Joss Whedon in. And I guess Whedon just, right. Like just wiped out everything Zack Snyder did made his own movie. Cause from what I get, like from the trailer, like this looks like it's entirely new stuff, like everything. Stuff we've never seen, which is insane. I've never seen hype for a director's cut like this. It's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 something in in movies that's kind of grown into this thing that you know fans want. You know, all the director's cut, this and that. Uh, but like you said, this is an event. There's never been anything like that. There's been ones that are released afterwards. You know, like. I, something that was recent was the Dr. Sleep one. That was a big deal. The yeah. director's cut of that was a, 
you know, totally amplified certain scenarios in the film and within the story that excited fans a lot. And that's something that's evolved over time in movies that hasn't always been a thing for like the director's cut. Not everybody gets to do this <laughs> to just release this in event style new movie. You know, it's being marketed like a new movie, like you said. Uh, it's, it's never really happened before. So I'm excited in that in that way. But it's also just it's it's so ambitious, you know, four hours of uh you know, a superhero movie is like, man, all right, here we go. You got it. You better unload a lot of daggers. Well, and I've been very vocal about how much I distrust Zack Snyder with these properties. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we both have. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, there's something about that. Like getting to see Dark Side in all his glory, getting to see like, it looks like we're going to get the Joker Jared Leto wanted to, to do. He looks like some kind of cross between Heath Ledger's Joker and the Crow. Just, yeah, I'm impressed by that. Just the bit from the trailer. I'm like, that's not the Joker from Suicide Squad. This is somebody else. And I'm excited for that to get to see. Maybe Jerry Leto can do it. Maybe, maybe, (laughs) you know, it's tough. It's tough. And the thing about that, the character of the Joker is. Personally, I I feel now that it's it's getting saturated and yeah. You know, we had a, a movie in 2008 where Teeth Ledger knocks it out of the park. And then, you know, a decade later, Joaquin Phoenix does it live action again in a totally different manner and in his own way, kind of knocked it out of the park. Uh, and we've seen it on um, Gotham. We had that, that one cat that played it. We've talked about him and you said his name was like Jay or whatever for a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and now... Jared Leto in Suicide Squad and now Jared Leto in this and it's like whoa man I I prefer the less is more especially with a, a, a Joker character when it comes to guys portraying him because mm-hmm. if you keep giving guys cracks at it it's, it's not as special anymore and I, I fear that I fear that with this Joker character man because I like that you know I like, I like a good, you know, 20 years, you know, you have Jack Nicholson to Heath Ledger. I I really like that gap where you really let Jack Nicholson breathe as the Joker and let it, it was his for a while. And then it got passed on to somebody else. It's getting passed around too much now. Well, it's one of the most iconic characters in pop culture history. And I get so popular. Every director who takes on Batman inevitably wants to take on the Joker. It is annoying to constantly have to do, you know, I'm, I'm also tired of seeing Lex Luthor when it comes to Superman movies. I yeah. Like yeah. Variety. Batman and Superman have such great rogues galleries. So many mm-hmm. characters to choose from that. I, I hate that. They just keep picking the same guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I'm still waiting for my Brainiac movie. I, <laughs> I don't know when that's <laughs> going to happen. I think every, you know, true DC fan, Marvel fan, wh- whatever it may be, like, you know, deep down they have, the stuff that they really, really want to see. That's just never going to happen, you know? And that's because these other popular, these other characters are so huge and so popular. And that's, you know, that's, those are the guys that carry it and Mm. understood, understood. You know, there's going to be guys in the DC world, especially that are just not going to get that, that shine that we want. Yeah. I mean, Marvel's proven they can kind of do anything with anything at this point. They're pretty powerful. They're pretty powerful. Yeah. 
DC can't seem to get the training wheels off. And no, I feel like no. this Justice League director's cut, even if it's the most incredible comic book movie we've ever seen, it's going to amount to absolutely nothing because they've canceled the, the so-called Snyderverse or whatever they're calling it. So this is not going to build on to anything. This is a standalone, like, what-if movie almost. Like, So regardless of how cool it is, there will be no follow-up. So that kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tough. <laughs> yeah. But we'll see. You know, we'll certainly cover the Snyder Cut on this podcast in March. And uh, here's hoping it doesn't suck because it's four hours long. And if it sucks, I'm going to be really pissed. <laughs> um, oh, man. Next up, some casting news. Michelle Rodriguez and Justice Smith have joined Chris Pine in the upcoming Dungeons & Dragons movie set for 2022. <laughs> just, I never played D&D. Uh, this sounds ambitious and probably going to bomb. Just my opinion, my thoughts. Yeah, no, agreed. <laughs> I played a little D&D in my day. Shout out to my, my buddy Harvey Mark. He's the one who taught me how to play this game and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, when you're with the right group of friends and you're kind of just, you know, a little bit of banter, but, uh, as a movie, I, I'm not quite sure, you know, I'm not familiar enough with the, the lore to, uh, know if there's a movie that, there, I, I don't think so, but we'll see. <laughs> well, I still remember 2000s Dungeons and Dragons with Jeremy Irons. So yeah, the track record ain't great here. And, uh, yikes, I just, Fantasy epics bomb more than anything. It's crazy. Like, if it's not Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, nobody gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen this happen so many times. I, yeah, I'm just not holding my breath for this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, this was cool, but also kind of disappointing. Sony reportedly has offered the role of Craven the Hunter to Keanu Reeves. But unfortunately, Reeves has apparently passed on it. Uh, Sony's prepping their Craven movie because they have all these Spider-Man characters and they don't know what to do with them. So they're just giving everybody a movie. And uh, Craven's next on the pile. And while a Craven's last hunt movie could be really cool, there's no way in hell Sony goes there. So I bet this is just going to be strange. But Keanu Reeves, what do you think of that? That that, that would be fantastic. But obviously, uh, you know, he's got bigger things going on, you know, John wick Four stuff. So other things to focus on for Keanu. Well, if you think about the character of Craven, the hunter, I mean, he's a big game hunter. If you give that to Keanu Reeves, is it an essentially just John wick, but he's wearing like a leopard print. Yeah, <laughs> basically, basically. So yeah, you might as well do the other thing. That's cooler. Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, I think it's weird that Keanu has like, well, no, never mind. He did Constantine. Forgot about that. And the new Matrix coming out, yeah. But he's been in the, he's dipped his toes into the uh, comic book world before, and yeah. I know he's really itching to do another Constantine. That movie's kind of been reclaimed by fans. I know, like people did not like it when it came out, but over the years, like fans have kind of re gone back to Constantine and thought, you know what, not bad. Yeah, I, I I like when that happens. You know, there's there's films that take a minute for people to kind of latch on to its you know to its charm and. That's definitely a strong case right there. Um, I don't know, Craven. I, Sony, I don't like Sony having a piece of Marvel. I just, I, I feel like they're blackmailing constantly. Yeah, of course not. 
those uh, bastards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, they suck. They, they throw a wrench into something that could be even more special than it already is. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. You know, they're a speed bump. Yeah. Well, if this Craven movie does end up happening, I hope they pick somebody who can handle it. Somebody who can have that kind of charisma. Cause it's always weird when they make movies surrounding villains like this, like Venom and Morbius. Like, what do you do with that? I mean, there's, yeah. it's just, it's tough. Yeah. When you got, you know, you get, you got like Tom Hardy to send your movie around. That's fine. That works. Uh, so for Craven, maybe like, you know, this is just, this is silly, but like Robert Pattinson, you know, I know he's playing Batman, but <laughs> like, you know, maybe someone younger than Keanu. Cause like Keanu's, you know, maybe get someone who's, uh, kind of come into their own star power right now. No, no, Craven. That would never work for Craven. Craven's whole character is he's like past his prime, but still believes he's a badass and like Gary Oldman. That would work. That would be pretty cool. I could see. So that. he's. So you think he's got to be past like fifty? You think past thir- at least past like thirty-five? I mean, he's got to be. You know. Oh, okay. Guy yeah. who's been through the ringer, who's seen some shit, who is like not ready to give up the game. Fair enough. I think, yeah, Robert Pattinson's 34. Okay, so like Jake Gyllenhaal's 40. Could he work or no? He could work. He could work. I, I think somebody, I always saw Craven as kind of a, well, a little, like a little foreign, kind of like, I think he's okay. in the comics, I think. Okay, okay. Somebody who's got kind of like a little, like rougher kind of look. Like, honestly, I, a guy I think if he, if he cleaned up a little, I would go with Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke, I like it. As you were saying, as you were saying the stuff uh, playing the Russian, I, I thought of Mads Mikkelsen. You know, he it's would like, be cool. Mikkelsen Mickey Rourke, Mickey Rourke, that's cool. That'd be fun. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm interested with Craven. I'd like to see the movie. I hope they do it right. That's cool. That's cool. I I, I dig it. I dig it. I, lo- I love talking about people who could play certain characters. You know, I love trying to recast stuff. You know, it's. Yeah. <laughs> It's one of my favorite things to do with uh, especially superhero movies. Oh, it's very fun. Um, next up, and this was really cool. Uh, Native American actor Michael Grayeyes has been cast as the sadistic villain John Rainbird in the upcoming remake of Stephen King's Firestarter. So we have a Native American actor playing a Native American villain. Thank you. <laughs> That's all I wanted from Firestarter because George C. Scott did not work. Oh my God. I'll never, I, I, I'll never believe that really happened that they cast George C. Scott no, of course. as a native American bad guy and gave him like a black braid. Like it's so <laughs> terrible. <laughs> God, that, not, not Patton. No. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And he's not even like, he's just Patton with a, with black hair. Yeah. 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 Fucking shit. And this is 1984. George C. Scott was, you know, hiking up there in years. So oh, yeah. Yeah. It's hilarious. Firestarter well, yeah, we, is great. We, we, we did that episode uh, on Exorcist 3 not, not too, too long ago. And yeah, he's, that's in the 90s. He's looking old in that. Yeah. And in 84, Firestarter, Firestarter is such a cool story. And it, in the right hands, it could be a really kick-ass movie. So this is a good step in that direction. I think Zac Efron was cast as the dad, which is interesting. Uh, so we'll see. Love it. Love it. 
love Zach Efron. I think he's he's one of those guys that I think has gotten like misread by certain people. And I actually look at his career and I'm kind of impressed by what he's put together so far uh, mm-hmm. for his age. I, I, I like I like the guy and I um, I love the episode you did on a uh, it was on film guys. I'm a it's a long name. Extremely wicked, shockingly evil, whatever you know, and yeah. vile. What, yeah, whatever. That film with him, yeah. yeah, pretty cool film. I think it's been like kind of forgotten already a bit. You know, I don't really hear anybody talking about it anymore. But I like I liked him in that a lot. Yeah, I think playing Ted Bundy really opened a lot of doors for him because he did such a great job balancing this like charming, you know, almost innocence with just pure sadism. And it was a it's a great job. I love that you kind of think maybe Bundy wasn't, you know, in the movie at least you'd think maybe he's innocent until of course the end when you're like, oh yeah, he's Ted Bundy. Yeah. <laughs> he Fuck. fucking did it. But yeah, impressive uh, performance for sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, I, I dig Zach Efron. Think he's think he's cool. I, I'm I'm excited for what he's gonna do do in the future. Oh yeah. Next up, Jack Blast. <laughs> Jack. Blast. Yeah, right. Hell yeah. That's perfect. God damn it. <laughs> Jack Blast. I'd cut that out, but that's too damn funny. Um, Jack Black has been cast as the voice of the robot Claptrap in the upcoming Borderlands movie from Eli Roth. This is turning into quite a production. Uh, Kate Blanchett is also involved in this. Uh, so basically the crew from the house with a clock in its walls is back together. <laughs> <laughs> doing a video game movie i yeah Shit, i forgot about that movie oh my god now they just got to get kyle mclaughlin on board and i'll have the whole set Ugh, yeah who else was in that 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 thing that was a disney disney movie that just kind of like came and went huh yeah, yeah that was eli roth's kids movie <laughs> yeah jesus christ yeah i remember right. i think i think it came out uh while we were working at draft house no I remember working that movie, yeah. Yeah, I just don't remember a fucking second of it, you know? <laughs> I have, like, bits of dialogue just rattling in my head from, like, I would hear, like, dozens of times just moving popcorn back and forth. And it was always at the same time in the movie, so I just have... Of course, yeah. Yeah, like... Yeah. yeah. There's specific movies that you definitely remember... Like, the big Marvel movies where you're, like, constantly doing stuff and you remember the beginning of the movie you remember every fucking line of it. Yeah. I have the entire script of star Wars episode seven memorized. <laughs> I just, yeah. I yeah. worked that movie nonstop for like three, four months. It was insane. <laughs> I, I, I'm really familiar with, uh, the opening to Ragnarok with the immigrant song. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Running upstairs with. Ah! <laughs> over and over and over. Yeah. <laughs> awesome good times yeah that's kick-ass so borderlands i just i know i say this every time we bring up a casting uh announcement with this movie but i just i I don't i never played the game so i don't care (laughs) i i watched my brother play the game that's about it that's all i can say i that's all that's about all i can say for most games most video games i watched one of my older brothers play it uh until until i got a little older the last time i was excited about a video game movie it sucked so hard i i i gave up and I was really bummed. It was uh, the Ratchet and Clank movie from 2016. Oh, that was a cool game. Yeah. I love that game so much. And I had so, I had high hopes and I was so bummed. It was, 
are you uh, more of a Ratchet and Clank or Jack and Daxter guy? I am actually in the middle of a Jack 3 replay. <laughs> so <laughs> as of at the moment, Jack and Daxter. <laughs> My man, that's that's awesome. <laughs> I had an anchoring. I played two. I just beat it yesterday. So I started playing three. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, that's great. <sighs> I love yeah all those games. That's my whole childhood. The Ratchet and Clank series, the Jack and Daxter series, and this PS2 game called Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy that I still love to death. Yeah. Right on. I love it. I love it. It's fantastic. Uh, oh, yeah. A uh, little sad news. Italian cinematographer and Oscar nominee Giuseppe Rotono has died at 97 years old. He was nominated for Best Cinematography for 1979's All That Jazz. Some of his other work includes Emmercord, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, Regarding Henry, Wolf, Sabrina, and Rocco and His Brothers. He had quite a varied resume and all movies we watched fairly recently, which is weird. Yeah, yeah. And some movies that, that stand out for sure, you know, and I, I think we both finally remember um, episode 25 of Oscar Sunday when we talked about the films of 1979. We talked a lot about Kramer vs. Kramer and got to talk a lot about all that jazz. And the movie's really dear to my heart. And obviously the way it, the way it kind of moves is, is what it's all about. And his work on that movie is, is uber important. And then uh, recently I watched uh, a Marcord for uh, uh, Federico Fellini. Uh, and he we worked on that with him. And that's an amazing movie. Uh, yeah, a guy, like you said, the guy that kind of touched a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I just watched The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Uh-huh. Definitely has a unique eye to it. Uh, weird film, but memorable. And uh, yeah, great work. He'll be missed. Yeah, for sure. Next up, director Adam Wingard, whose credits include Your Next, VHS, The Guest, Blair Witch, and Godzilla vs. Kong, is going to be helming a sequel to 1997's Face Off. I don't know why or how. Uh, who wants to see Face Off without Nicolas Cage and John Travolta? Nobody. And uh, it was announced early, uh, when this was first announced, it, they said it was going to be a reboot, but Adam Wingard came out and said, no, it's a sequel. So I'm wondering how that's going to work because I doubt Travolta has that kind of screening pull anymore. <laughs> Yeah, unless it's something really, really special. No, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't see a whole lot coming out of this. And in, in Face Off, I, I want that to stay standalone. Uh, such a bizarre movie, one that's so much fun to talk about. You know, uh, oh, yeah. one of those kind of like bad but good movies that you can just dive into. And yeah, I, I, I definitely want that to kind of stay alone. But whatever, everything, everything gets touched and se- gets a sequel these days. So. It's annoying. I mean, Face Off is such a such an action classic. John Woo doing an American action movie is just is so wacky. Travolta so wacky. and Cage have such great chemistry as just you know mortal enemies. They swapping each other's personalities. It's such a cool movie. Yes. And yes. Yeah. I just don't want to see it. You know, millennialified. I just don't want to see that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's got its own like badassery about it. I just want I want that to stay. Yeah, yeah, of course. 
Next up, Velvet Buzzsaw's Zawe Ashton has been cast as the villain in Captain Marvel 2. The character has not yet been announced, but that's she, she's going to play the bad guy. So we'll see who that's going to be. Uh, I'm a big comic book nerd, but I have nothing on Captain Marvel lore. I just it was you know it was after my time, <laughs> so I got nothing. I, I definitely got nothing. Definitely from the words of George. Yeah, I I I totally got nothing. There's no way I can even come up with an idea here. But, you know, Captain Marvel I've admittedly has been kind of the, one of the most forgettable of the Marvel movies. Uh, I've only seen it the one time at the movies. I liked it, but I haven't really wanted to go back. Uh, it's fine. I yeah. I don't really know why that is. I think it's just it came out between Infinity War and Endgame, and I wanted more. <laughs> so that's probably why. Yeah, pretty pr- pretty tough space for it to kind of live in. Uh, but I agree with you. I think it's somewhere in the middle of the road uh, when it comes to the the grand scale of all the MCU movies. It's not it's not one of the worst ones by by any of the stretch of the imagination. But but it's not one of the best either. Yeah, and that's just you know something we got to deal with. But I don't know. Maybe the sequel, you know, after all this shit, will be a little bit more explosive. Hey, the uh, first, you know, Captain America wasn't very good. They, they, those got, those got, those got awesome. I, the first Captain America is one of my favorite MCU movies. I love that movie. Uh, I, yeah, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not really into that one. Winter Soldier is the one that I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, that one's good. First Avenger, it's Hugo Weaving is the Red Skull. It's World War Two. There's, I, yeah. love I don't like that one. I don't like Thor one or two really much i don't really care for any of the three iron mans we've yeah we've gone down this road yeah <laughs> i'll give you the first two thors i like the first iron man but iron man two and three are pretty weak yeah fair enough all right see comic book fans that's how you debate a comic book like and dislike situation <laughs> <laughs> these are good these are okay these are bad ah these are the ones that i think are good all right to teach y'all a phrase agree to disagree <laughs> yes yeah and then when you agree have fun yeah and when you disagree <laughs> move the fuck on also have fun <laughs> um Ugh. speaking of moving on will you bank and christopher landon are developing a reboot of paranormal activity because there's no way this franchise was staying dead for too long oh jason blum of blumhouse is involved as well so that's optimistic uh landon wrote paranormal activity two three four and the marked ones while eubank directed underwater so i'd say not the best team you could get but uh i don't know if blum's involved i'm involved so we'll see yeah i'll definitely i'll definitely give it a whirl (laughs) but uh it's it's silly (laughs) it's 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 silly to just keep 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 this thing alive how many of those have you seen Uh, i've seen all of them at least once but the first one i've seen like 20 times you know uh, it's just i've seen it at friends houses and and whatnot you know keep in mind when did that come out 2009 2000 yeah somewhere there 2009 2010 yeah you know we're we're like in middle school going into high school like that's 
that shit was definitely something that like my friends always had at their house. We just watch it and vice versa. And I've watched it for fun now, you know, it still takes me down, you know, a certain road that I like going down with horror, but they're not, they're not good, you know, and it's just too, it's too much at this point. What, how many are there now? This is going to be the sixth one. Uh, for the marked ones, ghost dimension. This is the seventh, seventh. Yeah. Seventh, seventh. Damn. Yeah. That's too many. There does not. What is this? This it's not the eighties. Come on. (laughs) Ooh, that, that stung. Uh, (laughs) I have the first two because to me, those are the only two really worth a damn. Once they introduced like witch covens and time travel, it just got too weird. And just you see what I'm saying about the 80s? Yeah. <laughs> which which coven? Halloween, which coven? Uh, Halloween, all the you know. <laughs> I immediately going. I immediately jumped to Friday the 13th, seven and eight. Seven <laughs> involved a psychic girl, and eight uh was Jason takes Manhattan, where Jason, despite being afraid of water, hops a, on a <laughs> boat, goes to New York, and just fucks around Manhattan for a while. <laughs> and uh, there's a scene where he walks past a black dude with a boom box. Cause it's the eighties and he just beats the shit out of the boom box. He didn't touch the guy. He just like, I don't like that song. And like, it destroys the boom box. It's, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> oh, the, the Hellraiser. There's, you know, a bunch of different ones with weird names. Yeah. It's, it's bonkers. Yeah. Elm street. There's like, Oh God, that whole, rabbit hole yeah we have yet to go into elm street or uh friday the 13th on filmgasm we're we're saving those (laughs) yeah yeah those are those are deep those are deep cuts yeah i know a certain uh team member currently away who adores those movies yeah would really like to talk about those yeah (laughs) yeah those are ones that'll that'll that could take that, that that could last a while you know there's a lot lot to talk about for uh for, for the careers, you know, like a guy like Wes Craven, you know, it's just, you can kind of go on forever. Jason Voorhees gives us at most, or at, at least, uh, 12 weeks of content. <laughs> so, yeah, awesome. Next, Hell yeah. This, this, these next two are odd. Uh, Paramount is developing a remake of the 50s classic, The King and I, because everything is available for a remake nothing sacred anymore uh have not seen this i've only just stepped into rogers and hammerstein territory by finally watching the sound of music uh but it makes me appreciate these a little bit more and i don't like that they're doing this they've done it before this will be like the third time (laughs) just give it up (laughs) exactly yeah this this is a this is a pattern we'll always have you know you and i are trying to keep up with the current the current situation in film and TV and all that, all that shit. And this is a, this is a pattern we see of stuff kind of being redone, remade and revamped and sequel. And eh, you know, this is how it is. It's annoying. I mean, during all this, you've got so many independent filmmakers trying to get their stuff off the ground with original stories and personal stories. And they always have to fight to get a budget, but they'll green light, the same musical four times just to try to make a quick buck. I'm tired of this shit. Yeah. It's old. And it's going to happen again because director Nicole Castle is going to be helming a remake of the wizard of Oz. 
They're remaking The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that's just... That's downright stupid, you know? That's... There's so many... Like, there's a few films that you think would be sacred. Wizard of Oz is one of those films. I mean, we've got, you know, Return to Oz and Oz the Great and Powerful, but those were, like, offshoots and prequels and shit. They've never just straight up done The Wizard of Oz again unless it was in, like, 80s New York or with Muppets. (laughs) So... I don't really want this. I, I know it's going to be CGI heavy and the heart is going to be sucked out of it. So here we go. Yeah, this is, this will probably be like what happened with Gus Van Sant's 90s psycho, you know, mm-hmm. just like, just like straight up remake. Yep. You know, that's the, that's the kind of vibe I get in the, that's the kind of stuff that comes to mind when I hear, hear that. Yeah, that's, that's really stupid. Actually, yeah, I just saw it right here on my on my computer right now. I'll just pop up and a fucking ad for it. <laughs> Get the yep. hell out of here. They heard us talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna end up, you know, being a musical that maybe breaks even everyone stops talking about, and there'll be one original song from Beyonce. I'm looking at you, Lion King. So yeah, I'm not looking forward to this. Yeah, no, not at all. Ugh. So that's all for the uh, last week in film. Before we get into the big one. Let's talk a bit about two other releases this week. First up, Land. Uh, the directorial debut from Robin Wright. Uh, it's a film about a woman who loses her uh, husband and son in a tragic situation and is contemplating suicide, is very depressed, and she decides to isolate herself in a mountain cabin despite having no survival training whatsoever. So she quickly uh, falls prey to the elements, is nearly... Uh, nearly dies of starvation until she is rescued by Miguel, uh, played by Demian Bashir, who has lost his family in a similar situation. Then the two bond and become friends and realize life is worth living. It's a very sweet movie, very, uh, very depressing, unbelievably sad. The ending is like, Jesus Christ. And it's just kind of continuing a theme of movies this, these first two months of just very heavy and very depressing. <laughs> and uh, it was good. Uh, I'm excited to see Robin Wright's uh, future as a director. Uh, There was a great cover of Bruce Springsteen's I'm on fire in the opening credits that brought tears to my eyes. Uh, Yeah, that's fantastic. You gotta love, you gotta love when uh, just the, the, the first moments of a film can do that. And I think it has a lot to do with uh, where you got to see it. Yeah. I saw it uh, by myself at a theater in San Marcos, Texas called Evo entertainment kind of a mixture of uh, an arcade, a bowling alley, and a movie theater. It was like the most college building I've ever been to. And I'm including the actual college. <laughs> and um, it was just fun. I was, it was me and then two other ladies, uh, like two rows ahead of me. And it's similar to Draft House. You know, they have food and beer and stuff. And you can just kind of enjoy yourself. And I, I had a nice me day. And uh the movie was really sad, but I'm glad I got to see it. I like, you know, being able to experience a lot of different kinds of films. And uh, Robin Wright's an actress I've been a fan of for a long time, so I, I wanted to see her directorial debut the way God intended. <laughs> yeah, no, no, amen to that. I mean, you know, being able to go to the theater is, of course, a, a blessing and something that you know, we've all taken for granted, I think, uh, in our lives and being able to just do that with our families and friends and go to see the new Marvel movie with the packed house, you know, like that's, 
something that I think we all took for granted, you know, now that it's gone and yeah. I'm glad you, I'm, I'm glad you were able to find that San Marcos, you know, you, you recently moved there. So yes. got to find that place. I, I, I lived right around that theater, like five, six years ago. And uh, I saw the Martian and black mass there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So to 2015. Yeah. Uh, obviously. Yeah. Why, well, you know, I justify it uh, by, you know, I'm very careful. I wear a mask. I, I, I isolate myself in the theater. I live alone now. So the risk of me contaminating anybody or catching this thing in that situation, fairly low. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's the way I see it. I'm not letting anything keep me from the movies. I'm sorry, but I'm, you know, I'm keeping myself safe, but also embracing what I love. I see no harm in that. Excuse me. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there's two other people in the theater sitting a few rows in front of you and people are wearing masks until they get to sit down. And yeah, I just, you know, people are going to the grocery store where there's like hundreds of people. So yeah, I, you know, it is what it is. Honestly, the movie theaters are the places where I've encountered the least people with this whole thing. It's bonkers. Yeah. Yep. So I give Land an eight. It's a very uh, poignant film. The ending is emotional as fuck, but also kind of gives you a little glimmer of hope. And it's a great movie to kind of remind you to count your blessings, to you know tell the people you love that you love them because you never know when something could happen. A, a, a good a good thing that a lot of movies do and uh, sometimes not effectively and sometimes effectively. So yeah, I'll try to check this one out. Yeah, it'll be on streaming, I'm sure, within yeah. the next couple months. Next up, a film that I very much was looking forward to seeing and I'm glad I got to, uh, Willy's Wonderland. The latest <laughs> Nicolas Cage adventure and maybe his weirdest, and that is saying something. Uh for those of you interested in checking this one out, it is available to rent on Vudu for uh, 20 bucks, And probably Prime as well, roughly the same price. But uh, this is a film that stars a mute Nicolas Cage as a drifter who is tricked into cleaning an abandoned like kids' arcade place called Willy's Wonderland, kind of a Chuck E. Cheese knockoff. And he finds out that these animatronics are possessed trying to kill him. So he kills them first. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Pure, pure bonkers. You know, I'm, uh, I, I watched this like right after you did uh, today, <laughs> you know, uh, we're, we're recording this on Valentine's day. So uh, <laughs> don't recommend for Valentine's day. <laughs> But uh, best date but movie you can pick. Yeah, yeah, not not the best date movie, but but man, it is uh so damn entertaining, you know. And mm-hmm. right from the get go, you know where you're at, you know, Nicolas Cage playing this drifter character, <laughs> who, like you said, just kind of, you know, quickly realizes he's in a weird situation, so he beats them to the punch first. It, it's great. It's great. It's like complete opposite of what you just described in Land. Like, <laughs> there's movies that do that thing where you know yeah like appreciate what you got tell the people that you love tell them tell them that you love them you know there's movies that do that and there's movies like willie's wonderland that you know they're they're built 
they're built in a certain way for the the creator to do what they want with the movie first off to be creative to have their art which is awesome you know i love that movie making can do that can be so broad and it's 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 for entertainment it's for us to just kind of sit back and enjoy you know an hour and a half of this movie star nicolas cage who has this you know whole realm of different opinions and you know perspectives on on him and you and i are big fans of his you know we yeah. we love nikki cage so seeing him in this was a blast for me you know i had a lot of fun i don't like recommend it to everybody but i do recommend it if you like nicholas cage <laughs> you know what i mean this weekend uh not a lot of great date movie choices you've got a movie about a woman contemplating suicide after the loss of her family you've got nicholas cage fighting off animatronic demons and you got the Black Panthers. So not a lot of uh, not a lot of love this weekend. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to when we talk about Judas. You know, there's a love story with him that's real nice. You know, yeah, yeah. fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but Willie's Wonderland. Uh, <laughs> there's so many great moments in this film because it's it's very much like it feels like a parody at times. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's just it's fucking around a lot. It's yeah. awesome. Like Nick Cage, just you know, when he meets the first animatronic, he does not react in the slightest. He's just like, "Oh, okay, this shit," and <laughs> takes care of business. It's hilarious. He keeps changing his shirt because he keeps getting blood on it, and it's uh, I <laughs> I love that the whole time throughout everything, he he doesn't stop cleaning. Yeah, no, he's getting the job done. He's drinking his drink, just making sure, making sure everything, you know, the dishes are are steady. It's it, it's 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 pretty hilarious the tropes that this movie's like going with of you know when the camera goes really close up to this to to the can when he opens it and just like it's the like he's fucking Popeye, you know, like it's fun. I think it's a lot of fun, man. Like I, I just don't. I I know some people who would be like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah. But but I had I had fun for sure. Yeah, the director said that if this gets enough love, he is planning a sequel. Good, uh. yeah, good. See, these are the kind. This is the kind of movie that can build on just like it's an hour and a half. <clears throat> you could make five more hour and a half of these. That's just kind of bonkers, built around this wild Wonderland place. You know, yeah. Keep keep it going. I have thrown this movie in the book of filmgasm because one day this will be. A, we'll get a proper fleshed out filmgasm of Willie's Wonderland. Yeah, talk talk a little bit about Geo Parsons and Kevin Lewis and just kind of figure out exactly how this all got made. And yeah, just wild, wild movie. Well, I know for one thing, this was not a paycheck gig for Nicolas Cage. He has always wanted to make a silent horror film and play a character with no dialogue. And he saw this as his opportunity. <laughs> that's that's perfect. Perfect. There is nothing you could tell me about Nicolas Cage that would surprise me. <laughs> really nothing. <laughs> no no not at all that's why we love him you know just real quick just real quick uh right now off the top of your head what is your favorite nikki cage role oh my god my favorite role mm. oh. give a couple give a couple yeah. if you have to all right i immediately go straight to h.i mcdonough same Raising that's Arizona. my number that's yeah that's my number one yeah that's beautiful um caster troy from face off obviously Fair enough. Uh, Cameron Poe from Con Air. 
Uh, I like Ben Gates from National Treasure. Uh, oh, yeah. Ben Gates is wonderful. I go all over the place with Nicolas Cage. That man is, to me, and <laughs> he's a national treasure. And <laughs> I Oh, just, yeah. 100%. Yeah. As much as, you know, there's been, he's been some sh- in some shit films, a lot of shit films. But the guy always gives it his own. He gives his own 100%. <laughs> he, he acts in a way no other actor really does, where he's like chewing the scenery and disappearing into the character at the same time. It's so odd. It's impossible to describe. You just have to watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's the man. And I, I became a believer... I remember, I remember I went through a stint. I, I seriously, man, I became a believer when I, when I watched raising Arizona and, you know, leaving Las Vegas. And, uh, and then I remember adaptation is when I was like, uh Oh, Nicholas Cage is fucking awesome. Like this guy, this guy can kind of do anything. <laughs> Never forget folks. He is Academy award winner, Nicholas Cage. Yeah. That's, that matters. I, I regrettably have not seen leaving Las Vegas or adaptation yet. Those two are wonderful. Matchstick men. That oh, is great. Matchstick men is great. man. Yeah. I, yeah, I could kind of go on and on. I, Nikki Cage is like, he's beyond a national treasure. Yeah. He's, he's, he's something else. He, he's there's, there's nobody, nobody quite like him. Uh, and I don't, I don't really see in the future anyone capturing the same kind of aura that he does. No, he's, he's the man. I, have I talked about Cageathon on the podcast? I feel like I have. Probably, but yeah. go ahead. Why not? All right. I love telling this story anyway. So once a year, pre-COVID, Nicolas Cage himself host, hosted a, uh, a yearly Nicolas Cage movie marathon in uh, the Draft House Ritz in Austin, Texas. He called it Cageathon. He would pick a selection of like five of his movies and show them and host a Q&A. And there was a clip I saw from uh, 2018's Q&A. And it was a guy asked him, like, you know, Mr. Uh, obviously, all of us here are huge fans. And uh, but, of course, there's some people out there who aren't, you know, don't really understand your work. And I was just wondering if you had anything you wanted to say to the haters. And Nick Cage smiles for a second, takes the mic and just goes, you just don't know what you're missing. And everyone roared in applause, and then they watched Lord of War. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> nothing but respect. <laughs> Mic drop. Oh, my gosh, that's incredible. Yeah, I love that. I love that story. Yeah, I'll continue to support this dude's work forever. He's one of my favorite actors. His movies are, like, their own genre at this point. And, yeah, he's, he's one of America's greatest talents. I believe that wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He's, he's one of the few guys that, like you said, he has his own genre. Like you, you look at Nicolas Cage movies and you kind of look past the director. It's just, it's a Nicky Cage movie. <laughs> yeah. Straight up. <laughs> uh, I love that. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So Willie's Wonderland uh, available to rent on Vudu for 20 bucks available on prime for the same price. If you like, bizarre horror films this is this is for you check this out <laughs> yeah I, I i give it a seven overall but i do think it is just it's just entertaining as hell it's just, it's not like a it's not a real well put together movie you know no of course but not. it's but it's fun it's fun yeah i gave it an eight 
because I liked that it got me out of a bit of a slump from this year. Everything I've watched this from this year has been super sad. And this was something that finally made me laugh and just be like, what the fuck? So yeah, I'm glad yeah. that it did that. And I got drawn in and I thought this is hilarious. There's moments in this movie that are just like bizarre. Like the two people just decide to fuck in the middle of the playroom for some reason. And they get ripped apart. Just, of course. Yeah. It's a horror movie. Why would you do this? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's hard to explain, but it's, if you, if you, it's hard to explain, but if you understand it, you, you get it. You don't need to be told why. You just know. <laughs> you just know. You just know the rules. Yeah. Nick Cage. Oh, love it. All right. So we covered land. We covered Willie's Wonderland. Now let's cover the big film, something we've both been anticipating for quite some time, Judas and the Black Messiah. So this is the story of Chicago Black Panthers Party chairman Fred Hampton, his influence over the civil rights movement and his ultimate betrayal at the hands of FBI informant Bill O'Neill. I'll confess something. Prior to the trailer of this film, I had never heard of Fred Hampton. He's a guy who just isn't taught at, you know, in schools around the civil rights movement. Like they talk about MLK. They briefly will cover Malcolm X, but that's kind of it. Uh, Fred Hampton never gets talked about, and he fucking should. This guy was amazing, like one of the best orators ever, and just a guy who knew how to unite people. Like he could have been like huge if the fucking feds hadn't cut him down. Oh man, yeah, Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton's uh, pretty fascinating. Pretty fascinating character, huh? Yeah, all of this, like, he was killed when he was 21. Yeah, 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 that's, it's like the first, the first thing for sure that just kind of sinks in, you know? Yeah. A guy who, his mind is so advanced, his, uh, his ability to see the bigger picture is pretty, pretty impressive at that age. Uh, not not a lot of guys are a threat at that age. That's the scariest part that like, he, he, yeah, that's what he, that's what he's looked at, but you know, he's looked at as a threat to, 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 to Americans. What? Like this guy, this guy who simply brings people together, you know, it's really when you bring it down to like a dummy level, which is what, which is what you have to do, you know, for people to understand. It's like, this is why movies like this have to be made. It's because people need to understand, you know, how just how fucking black and white it is, you know, straight up. That's what I mentioned that in my review about how, you know, biopics are one of my favorite genres, specifically because they bring these people to light. They bring to light stories that are not traditionally told that need to be told, regardless of how accurate they are historically. It gets people talking about. Yeah. Fred Hampton. It, this is a guy who's going to be on people's minds for quite a while because of this film. People are going to remember what he did, and that's more important than anything. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, you know, we're going to talk about this movie and, like, kind of dive into it, you know, the, what the, what's just the film is and how impressive the movie is as all. It's kind of a genre bender, which is my favorite part about it, but like you said, biopics have a lot of power. They 
they can you know they're choosing a figure and they're choosing a way to tell an audience about who they are you know they're, they're they're choosing a path to take and you can you know you can go this route where it's kind of looking into a, a, sh- a shorter span right before his 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 assassination and <clears throat> you can also do like what spike lee did with malcolm x and go over everything you know yeah i i, I kind of like them all you know or you can do you can do something, you know, totally different, like catch me if you can, you know, T- totally different kind of biopic. It's, it's an awesome way to make a movie, right? Take a figure. You have the power to kind of like, this is what they meant. It's, it's scary too, though. Yeah. Cause you know, you, you can have something like I, Tanya, where people are like all of a sudden kind of, kind of praising this, this, this woman. And she's kind of coming back to light all of a sudden and like, no, like she did some fucked up shit you know yeah. some fucked up shit in order to win and, and that's that's super fascinating in this case it's it kind of hits on all cylinders we we get a guy who's 100 worth talking about uh, a guy that like you said you you you, you said yourself but like you didn't know about him in school he wasn't taught in school i wouldn't know i dropped out my sophomore year in high school like i had to find my own stuff and that's crazy to me. (laughs) That's crazy to me that he's not a figure that wasn't, that wasn't in schooling, you know, and that's beyond me. So it makes sense that you would make a biopic about that guy, Fred Hampton, a guy, a guy who means so much and is worth all of, all of the time in the world to talk about. And doesn't get that at the same time. That's what a biopic, it meets those, it kind of gap, you know, bridges those two things. One thing I do want to bring up, and this is crazy to me. I, this just clicked my freshman year of college. I took an honors course on American counterculture movements in the 1960s. Fred Hampton's name did not come up one time. Yeah. That's wild. I mean, it's wild. Yeah. I don't think we even touched on the Panthers. Like we talked yeah. mostly about like Bob Dylan and shit. It was actually a very boring class. Yeah. Yeah. Just to kind of, I love Bob Dylan, but yeah, just a very like whitewashed idea yeah. of idea of what was happening in the sixties. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, that's something uh, that is really Allen Ginsburg. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> something that just has been prevalent in our, in our history for a long time. I'm taking a class right now in historiography, which is kind of like the lessons it's how to, historiography is the history of how history has been written. So you're looking at things that people have written about historical events. And it's important to understand perspective and understand like who is telling this story and why would they choose to omit certain facts? Yes. And that is something that we really are fucked up with in this country is forgetting what's important and whitewashing the hell out of our history to make us look better. And that is so fucked up. And it's something I'm really like paying attention to now. And I love that this film came out like right as I'm learning about all this because it's like I'm zeroing in on that shit immediately. And I think it's something we all need to be more aware of is it's not just a history. It's who's telling the history. Who's telling us about these people or better yet, who isn't. And we see, you know, how, how much the feds, were so scared of Fred Hampton being 
a unifier, being a guy who was going to, you know, as I think Hoover said, he was a threat to their way of life. Yeah. Oh my God. So Jesus Christ. He's not talking about (laughs) like black people, white people. He's talking about politics, like politicians and the federal government and how, if the people of all colors, if oppressed people rise up, everything changes. And Fred Hampton had the power to make that happen in a way that very few people throughout history have had. He had an influence that was like really special. And there's one scene in the movie that is like just so amazing and really showcases his power of doing that. And we'll, we'll bring that up later, but yeah, it's just a, uh, I think we all need to be mindful about the history we learn and the sources we find it from. Yeah. Likewise with the, you know, when talking about this movie, you know, we have a sort of new filmmaker, Shaka King, who hasn't dipped his toe in a lot, which, which caused me to do some research about how did this come about? This shit has been in his mind for like seven years. So He's been he's been kind of chipping away at this project for a long time. And it shows. It really does. It really does. You know, you can you can try to find, you know, little little things about the movie that maybe aren't totally true to what happened, but from from everything I've seen and read and with with the ending that they chose, that Chuck King mm-hmm. chose using a bit of documentary footage. Yeah. Masterful. Masterful stuff. That's, 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 that's what, that's what Spike Lee does is gives you a, gives you that docudrama, gives you that, you know, just kind of zeroes in on it and tells you like, no, this, this is real. I'm making a movie, but this, this, this is supposed to mirror real life. Yeah. That's something I think biopics need to remind you of is that agreed. Agreed. As wild or outlandish as these stories may be, they are based in history, based in fact. and. Ending with that, or the, you know, the uh, most biopics end with a few factoids about like the aftermath. And those are important. They're, they're almost my favorite part of a biopic is finding out like just how accurate was this. And this movie really goes the extra mile to remind you how important Fred Hampton was to the civil rights movement and to uh, really history, like American history. I think he's an unsung hero. And I hope this movie makes him uh, makes makes more people aware of him. Uh, I agreed, and I hope it gives people a reason to do the research on the Black Panther Party and read about what they're really about. Read about what it really meant to be in the thick of it. To be when you hear you know when you hear stuff like in the struggle, like you like find out what that really means, you know? And I think movies like this can give people an urge, give people a push to go in that direction, start reading things online and figuring out things for themselves. And maybe even listen to, listen to Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield talk about why they chose these roles. Uh, listen to Chaka King talk about why he wanted to make this movie. Those things are important. Those things are really important when you're bringing all of these ideas and these characters to life back to life it's a it's big stuff it's big stuff it's important stuff uh, especially when you got you know deborah johnson um and fred hampton jr you know 
you, you got them, you know, you got them doing their thing. So you got, you got to be respectful, of course. And I think this movie from everything I've seen and read and did, did a good job, man. And it, it felt that way while watching it felt honest. Uh, it felt, felt like a good tribute to, to what was happening in the late sixties uh, in Chicago. Um, for me, man, it's, it's hard to compare <laughs> a movie like this to trial of Chicago seven. Like I'm much more interested in the, this one's a lot more like uh, underground and grittier. Uh, and I thought about that the whole time. Like I thought I was thinking about the late sixties the whole time. Cause it captured that so well. It did. It really did. I have my own thoughts about trial of the Chicago seven. I was a big fan, but I can understand why people would be more um, accepting of this one. I think it is more honest. I think it is more uh, focused. Uh, But I think both films have something to offer about, you know, two fairly separate stories that kind of only are entangled like a little bit, but uh, yeah, I, that comparison is going to be ongoing. Oh yeah, for sure. It will be, especially because they're in the same season. They're going to be competing at the same award shows and that's just how it's going to be. It's going to be Aaron Sorkin's Trailer Chicago seven versus Shaka, Shaka Kings, you know, Judas and the black Messiah. Yeah. That's definitely going to be a thing. Do you think this is going to be up for uh, best picture, best director, possibly uh, fucking should be. I think it should be up for a lot of stuff. You know, we can go ahead and start talking about the cast if you want that yeah. way. Um, yeah, I think, I think for sure. Um, I think this is, (laughs) I've heard some people call it like it's departed 2.0. Like, yeah, it is. It moves like, like a seventies, sixties or seventies, like cop movie at times. It's thrilling. It's got a love story. That's like beautiful intertwined. It's a amazing biopic. It's all these different things makes you feel all these different things. And you learn all this stuff inside of two hours. (laughs) <laughs> this is this is what best picture category is for like yeah there's movies i personally love that i feel like i connect with and then there's movies that i think that are like oh man people need to see this this is what the this is what the the medium is for and this meets both of those for me i i love it but i also think it's just spectacular piece of art you know uh breathtaking stuff it definitely best director. Yeah. I think that's definitely a conversation that could be had, but I think the big one is like Daniel Kaluuya, just give him the fucking statue already. He, yeah. he's, he, yeah, he carries this movie with a, I don't even know a word to use uh, a gravitas. That's though. I, I, you don't see anymore. You just do not see a guy move like that it's just it's insane there's not a lot of guys who who move that way like it's the way like daniel day lewis moves it's like uh uh-oh we have uh he's 31 (laughs) and he's british we gotta we gotta we gotta like a a legend in the making i think and daniel kaluuya damn brit's named daniel sure can act huh (laughs) exactly yeah yeah i'm telling i i think he's got this uh i think he's got it figured out whatever it is he's got it figured out well, yeah, with that, let's get into the cast. Um, Oscar nominee Daniel Kaluuya is Fred Hampton. Kaluuya was nominated for his performance in 2017's Get Out. Uh, yeah, has appeared in such films as Black Panther, Widows, Sicario, and Queen and Slim. He took off incredibly fast after Get Out. And yeah, I think that 
This is a performance of the ages, and I really hope he gets the Oscar for this because he fucking deserves it. This is uh, he plays Fred Hampton as like you know Fred Hampton's a young man, but he feels so much older because of the weight of everything on his shoulders, and you feel that the entire time. Kaluuya never lets up. He plays him with such power, and it's it's fantastic. There's scenes in this film that do not feel acted. It feels like you're watching like footage from the sixties and it's unreal. Like I, I was, I knew he was going to be good, but Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't look away. It was amazing. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. He, uh. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of spooks me out. He's so good. I can't, I can't, can't handle Daniel Kaluuya. I did, I had no, I had no idea inside of, you know, five years the guy the guy would just you know what i i watched i watched skins you know and he popped up on that when he was young he's wearing like a fucking atlanta braves baseball cap and just fucking you know just bullshitting at the like lunch table on skins had no idea that this was coming had no idea like this is this is an this is an all-timer this is this is like when you look back, I'm like, I'm not kidding. I, I really feel this way. I've watched it twice. Now I watched it twice inside of like whatever, 20 hours. I just like the thought it was really good. And I wanted to, wanted to watch him again. <laughs> Quite frankly, I, I wanted to watch Daniel Kaluuya work again. And that's what it is. He's working. He's working his ass off. You know, he's, I think when we look back on his career, yeah, this, this will be like what Kramer versus Kramer is for Dustin Hoffman. Just like, damn, like, that guy's doing it. You know, he's really doing it. He's so doing his, what this is. Yeah. It's his, it's his masterpiece. Yeah. His raging bull. Yeah. yeah. Yes. His raging bull His his, there will be blood. His gangs of New York. <laughs> I mean, you look at his resume already. I mean, I would say get out is his like real start in Hollywood. I, I, I agreed. Yeah. Where it's like, Oh, who's that yeah who's that who's that guy in this horror movie that transcends it out of horror into oscar nominated movie you take these you take four of his movies you take get out black panther widows and judas and the black messiah and you can see an incredible range with this guy you can see like what he can do with his voice the way he holds himself like these are very clearly four different complete characters that he completely disappears into it is an amazing he's got a talent very few actors in hollywood have where they do disappear and i'm so excited to see this guy's career i mean we're just at the beginning here and we're gonna see so much work from him and i'm i'm psyched i really am i think that he's got a chance to get an oscar right out the gate here at a young age that's huge and i don't see him wasting his his post oscar bump the way that like uh, Adrian Brody did. <laughs> like, I don't see that happening. Rami Malik. Yeah. This is going to be a performance <laughs> where we look back and say like, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I agree. I just, uh, yeah. Could we could praise him all day. I think that's where a lot of people are at after watching this movie is like, oh, okay. Yeah. That guy's a certified fucking superstar right now. I mean, the speeches alone. It's the it's it's the it's the way he kind of cocks his head and then his fucking jaw you can see his jaw muscles moving like every little thing he does is like he's working like he's he's totally paying attention when he puts his arm around Deborah 
when he's trying to feed her, you know, with the spaghetti and looks up, what's up? You know, just like every little thing that he does is whether, whether it's exactly like Fred Hampton or not, he's fucking trying, he's making decisions and he's committing to it and trying. And I, I love that in a biopic. I love when people make the decisions and go at it. When there's such like raw emotion in his performance, like when he's doing the, uh, I am a revolutionary speech, the way he's throwing his entire body, into that statement it's you feel that i almost screamed it at my tv <laughs> i was like fuck yeah com- com- complete satisfaction yeah i could like, follow this guy. my god oh yeah it's just it's a it's a performance i'm i'm not going to stop thinking about so far as of 2021 this is the best performance i've seen this year so far and this is the best movie for me so far this year too i just yeah 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 Oh, wonderful stuff. Lakeith, Stan- Lakeith Stanfield, though. Yeah. Uh, that guy's holding his own. He is. Yeah. He, all right. Let's talk about him. So he plays FBI informant Bill O'Neill. Stanfield is another guy who took off really fast after his performances in such films as Short Term 12, Selma, Get Out, Sorry to Bother You, Uncut Gems, Knives Out, and the TV series Atlanta. Hell of a resume already. And that's within like four years. <laughs> So he, you know, I'm not surprised that he can hold his own against Daniel Kaluuya and really be kind of a sympathetic. I'll go so far. I'll say he's the villain of this movie. Uh, but uh, Hoover, Hoover. All right. Well, there's Hoover, who's Hoover. just the bad guy. But I think that <laughs> Bill O'Neill has his own uh, agenda, his yeah. own like uh, blame for what happened. A hundred percent. Of course. Of course. He's a rat. Yeah. Straight up. So does yeah. So does yeah. So does Roy. All all mm. these guys do. All these people that are a part of a chain. Yeah. Fuck them. Fuck them. Oh yeah. And uh, but Lakeith really he makes you feel bad for this guy. He 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 builds up the sympathy at times. And I just I thought he did a great job of, like you said, you know, you you said that somebody called it like the Departed 2.0. Yeah. He really does yeah. have that like Leo trapped in. Uh, undercover work thing going really well uh yeah i thought he was he was fantastic yeah look he's stanfield 29 years old right now and just kind of kind of like daniel can kind of just disappear into whatever environment you want him to be in he's he's able to he's able to play so many different kinds of of you know black characters in such a short amount of time, like uh, he, he's a, he's a guy to kind of reckon with, like, look out, this guy's coming. He's uh, just in Atlanta alone. Jesus Christ. He is so damn funny in that show. Uh, there's, there's multiple episodes. One of the very best episodes is kind of based around, based around what he's doing uh, in season two. Just, yeah, he's, he's wonderful. Uncut gems. I adore what he's doing in that movie. Short term 12, He's the best part of that movie. <laughs> he, yeah, he kind of he he always offers something to what's going on to whatever you know. And knives out, he offers something you know amongst all these amazing actors. He's always there. He's always present, and and I love that about him. I love the um, interview with I can't remember who it is. It's Brad Pitt and Adam Sandler talking. I I cannot remember what I was watching on YouTube. I just went down a rabbit hole, but. Brad Pitt's talking about, oh man, Lakeith is awesome in Uncut Gems, and Adam Sandler's like, 
oh my God, this guy's amazing. Like he's just kind of, kind of just like, you know, locked into his character, you know, like I'm just kind of trying to talk with him and he, <laughs> and he's talking like his character, you know, he's like, this guy's obsessed with work, you know, and really wants to go after it. And you love hearing that, you know, you love, you love hearing that from people that work with him because it shows on the screen. <laughs> like he's Stanfield seems like a guy who, who can work really, really well with other character actors, especially a guy like Daniel Kaluuya. We saw it in Get Out. They have one of the very best scenes of the entire decade together. Yeah. Uh, one of the most famous scenes of the decade too. One of the best horror scenes of all time. Just uh, breathtaking stuff from those two. And then you had Lil Rel Howery show up later on. So there's a whole Get Out connection uh, going on. I was waiting for waiting for somebody else to pop up, maybe even Jordan Peele, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, that would have been funny. Um, did you ever see that uh, epic rap battle of history where he and uh, where Key and Peele play Gandhi and MLK? Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, you know, Jordan Peele did a pretty decent job playing Martin Luther King. I wouldn't be surprised if he popped in on one of these films at some point. No, Jordan Peele's great at uh, doing the Obama voice. Yeah, he's yeah, he's great. Yeah, it's this is a great ensemble. Uh, do you see Lakeith possibly getting a nomination for this too? Maybe. I don't. I don't think he is. I. I honestly think Dominique. Dominique. I think she totally deserves a Best Supporting Actress nomination. Uh. Damn, she I didn't know she had that in her. I've seen her some other stuff, you know, The Deuce on HBO mm-hmm. is a pretty cool show that I dig her in. I, I didn't know I didn't know she had that in the bag and she brought me to tears. Yeah. Like just kind of like I just kind of dropped when she's talking to talking to talking to Fred, talking to Daniel Kaluuya uh about their child and about bringing bringing a baby into this kind of war zone. It's a it's a very very honest uh, conversation and i thought she was i thought that was kind of an oscar kind of moment you know it's funny uh in school we're taught that the civil rights movement led to equality and it was like a peaceful protest and all that but the more we learn you know we grow up we find out that what really happened and it was it was a fucking war straight up a war that in many ways is still happening yeah exactly yeah it's still ongoing well and that's that's it you know is like you especially you and I, you know, we're two white guys who grow up and we're just taught this bullshit over and over the movies over and over kind of lie to you. The books over and over lie to you because it's told by white guys over and over who are trying to protect, like Hoover says, protect their fucking way of life. Cause even, even if they're not quote unquote racist or fascist, they still want to protect theirs. They still want to avoid losing their shit that that shit is so fucking annoying it goes right back to, to that get out to bradley whitford's character and get out of you know i would have yes a third time yes that same passive aggressive like not racism it's that bullshit it's yeah. that guy yeah it's that guy and, and and that that has to end and that ends by people well this this goes into what we were talking about last week is the people that are telling these stories need to be the right people so that they're told correctly so that history doesn't get fucked up like it has been for so long we need people to rewrite and say it like it is and be honest and come from the right voices i read a book for my historiography class last week 
that taught me that women's studies was not considered a legitimate view in history until like the late eighties. Yeah. People it's bonkers. Give a shit what women had to say in history. That mindset was not considered valid. Cause like, can you believe that shit? This is something that, well, yeah, like, mine and your mom, like didn't have a perspective on history yeah. until they were in their thirties. Like what the fuck? Like <laughs> the only people whose voice mattered in history for centuries were educated white men. They're the only people yes. who had something to say. And they didn't know what the hell, um, you know, the mindset of a, of a slave was. But that's all we could look at. Like, it's only in the past 20 years that other people's voices are allowed to be heard and analyzed. And, it, and that's why we're getting new perspectives in history and new stories are being told because we're really discovering and ca- caring about them for the first time. It's incredibly yeah. fucked up. No, it's insane. It's insane, dude. You know, I, I talked about, uh, I think it was last week, I talked a bit about um, that movie I watched, The Learning Tree by Gordon Parks, and like what it took to get that kind of a movie made, you know, and like just because it's a, a black dude making this movie with black actors trying to tell a story about the South in 1969 doesn't get any sort of budget at all, even though it's this great movie that could teach, a pe- teach people a lot of different shit, you know. It's frustrating as hell, you know, to see a, you know, like it's taken this long for a film like Judas and the Black Messiah to be made <laughs> and to get the proper budget for the story to be told in the right way. That's insane. You know, that's crazy. And that, that is racism, you know, like <laughs> it sucks, man. It sucks. Yeah. It's, you know, as much as, you know, it was racism has gotten a lot quieter because, well, not in the past two years, but yeah, lately, uh, it's still there. It's just, it's hidden in like, you know, like n- not being able to get a loan and things like that. It's still there. And it's never going to be rooted out until we root it out. And I think my, gen- like our generation is really, I think, stepping up to finally like abolish a lot of shit that the baby boomers have really just embraced. And I'm excited to see if that's what happens too. Like if we are finally the generation who says, fuck all this and stops. I mean, I don't know if that's even possible in our country, but (sighs) you know, the best I can do is just, you know, not contribute to it. That's yeah. 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 Cause it's so ingrained in our society, you know, systematic racism is not something that, you can just kind of like knock over or ignore. You just have to not contribute to it. Like you said, you have to like literally consciously do your part, love yourself, love the people around you and like hate racism. You actually have to, you have to say that, like you have to make the distinction like fucking Hampton's saying, you cannot be a bystander. You cannot be someone who's not going to be an ally. You have to stand up and be like, this is messed up. And this is how this is how it needs to be, no matter what you look like. Otherwise, otherwise you're contributing, like you said, you're contributing to the to the the fucking the fucking bad guys. That's what you're doing. By by not by not saying anything, by not doing anything, by not caring, by not watching movies like this, by not hearing stories like this, by not doing that work for yourself, you're you're not caring and you're consciously not giving a shit. And so you're contributing to the bad guys and you and I obviously don't stand for that and are trying, we try our best to 
use, especially use this podcast to, to learn stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, I think the sneak preview filmgasm and Oscar Sunday have all proven that they've kind of like, Whoa, kind of gone past our expectations and taught us, taught us some serious things. And yeah, I love when a mo- I love when a movie like this creates this kind of a conversation because mm-hmm. th- this is important. Yeah. I think it's incredibly important to point out bigotry and point out how fucked up it is and constantly remind people that it's not okay to act like this. It's not okay to treat people like this. And if I agree with the, you know, if you're not going to be a part of the solution, then you are a bystander and part of the problem. It's a sin of omission. If you're not saying something, you're letting it happen. Yeah. And yeah, we have a platform here to say something. And I'm glad we're using it. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. I think you always have to uh, just if you're, yeah. If you're going to be alive, uh, you do not want to regret not saying anything. So you definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Life is fragile and short, so you gotta you gotta stand up for something. So, uh, what what are your you know? Is there anybody else in the cast you like really want to dig into? Jesse Plemons. Uh, we can talk about him in, a little bit. We can dig yeah. a bit into Jesse Plemons. Always down for that. He plays FBI agent Roy Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Uh, he took off after his role as Todd Alquist on the final season of Breaking Bad. And he's appeared in such films as Black Mass, Bridge of Spies, The Post, Game Night, The Irishman, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and Season 2 of Fargo. Another guy, a lot of people in this who just like took off so quickly. And Jesse Plemons is a guy who always delivers. I think he doesn't really disappear. I mean, I can always tell like, oh, it's Todd in a suit or it's Todd wearing a jacket. I just always see him as Todd. I'll never not. <laughs> I see him as the bully from like Mike. Oh my God. <laughs> I've, I've never seen that, but I know the movie. Yeah. He's, he's, he's one of the bully kids in like Mike from 2003. Yeah. That's hilarious. Or yeah. 2003, 2002. I don't know. <laughs> well, he does a great job at playing like we saw in Breaking Bad, he plays a really good sociopath, a guy who just has nothing behind his eyes. And Roy Mitchell is, is that. This is Todd if he was an FBI agent. He's another guy. He's the perfect example of complacent. Complacent means guilty because he knows what Hoover's going to do. There's a moment there where you think he's like, we shouldn't do this, but he never says anything and he lets it happen. Oh, yeah. No, he's just, a guy that thinks he's just doing his job. That's what he thinks. But then again, you did not say no to J. Edgar Hoover. He was the most powerful man in the country at the time. And I'm including the president. Hoover had dirt on everybody. Hoover was a monster. <laughs> yeah, the worst. And, yeah. And he ran the FBI for like 50 fucking years. <laughs> and he's really the reason... Uh, the civil rights movement became so violent because he wanted to stamp that out. He thought that he, this was a revolution against him and his people. It was, you have racists at the top, you're going to have racists at the bottom. It's exactly, exactly. It starts there. And it just, you know, this is the real trickle down shit. And it's just aggressive. And he, I thought Martin Sheen did a great job playing Hoover. Oh um, my god! Yeah, frightening. Yeah, Martin Sheen's another guy who's like just been reliable as fuck the whole time, his whole career. Never really gotten his due, I don't think. But no. have you ever seen Hot Shots Part Two? 
No, no, I have not. It's, it's a so Hot Shots. The first one is a Top Gun parody. Hot Shots Two is an Apocalypse Now parody. So okay, Char- okay. Charlie Sheen plays this guy who goes to Vietnam to like. Oh like, Jesus! And he's on a riverboat doing his like you know narration, and all of a sudden you hear Martin Sheen's narration cutting in because Martin Sheen is on another riverboat about to pass him, <laughs> and he's playing um, his character from Apocalypse Now. And they both look at each other with this, like, wait a minute. And then they both at the same time go, I loved you in Wall Street. <laughs> they do like a thumbs up and they never see him again. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was very close. I think of that scene every time I think of Martin Sheen. That is fantastic. <laughs> but, yeah, back to the dark shit. Uh, he, he did a great job as Hoover just playing him as a monster who – only wanted one thing, and that was Fred Hampton dead. Oh, it's amazing yeah. how easy it was for these feds to just, you know, toe the line. Because a lot of them thought exactly the same way. There were not a lot of people in power who thought that black people deserved rights. It's, God, yeah, it's about it. It's disgusting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely uncomfortable to talk about, but it's, but it's something that yeah it needs to be put in movies, you know, and. When you're trying to tell us tell tell us the whole story, you, you really do have to go to where it's rooted at the top, and that that is Hoover. Because if you show that this guy who is in control of so many men, uh, he can he can you know snap his fingers and people will fire, people will just fire away at innocent people because this guy snaps his fingers like he's that he's that powerful like you said maybe the most powerful man in the United States for like over a decade. So <laughs> almost half a century. Like he was. He yeah. Was no, he power. was actually in control of the FBI for a very long time. Yeah. And most presidents just kind of let him do his thing. He hunted Dillinger and he killed Fred Hampton. Like this yeah. guy had ugh. range. Yeah. From his career is like too long. Too I think he long. was the first director of the FBI. Yeah, he's yeah, he's the the guy. Basically, the, he's basically the guy who represents it. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> he's he's the logo, and he might have been a closeted homosexual, which is yeah, the craziest that, part of all of this. That fucking Leonardo DiCaprio and Army Hammer biopic that's just not aged very well at all. Good lord, why? Because of Army Hammer's whole cannibal thing, or just not yeah, and the fact that there's a J. Edgar Hoover biopic. <laughs> well. I guess it, it, it does it paint him as a hero. You haven't seen that one. I haven't seen J Edgar. I saw it in theater. So it's been a long time, but yeah, I remember, I rem- not, I, I'm not going to say hero, but I remember it not being like, this guy sucks. Cause he sucks. Yeah. And any, any movie that tries to be like, no, nah, he was fine is, is wrong. You know? Yeah. You gotta, you know, a lot of our American icons are painted and glorified. For some reason, I don't know why, but we refuse to admit that people in power were monsters in this country. We refuse to believe that. And we need to. We need to acknowledge the faults of our leaders. It's or else, you know, we end up with Trump again. And I don't want that to happen. We need to we need to know the mistakes and we need to recognize them and we need to ensure that we don't repeat them. And that goes to every level of government. And yeah, glorifying Hoover is just another part of that. 
Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Straight up. It's, it's, it's not something that should be done with a biopic. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot of biopics that paint their subject as just complete bastards. Most of them are made to show like the human side of them. Uh, although all the money in the world. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But, but you're right. Most of them are made by someone who finds them intriguing in some way. Uh, I think one of my favorite looks at a, especially like a political or, you know, uh, American individuals is Patton 1970. Yeah. So a movie that really doesn't go one way or the other. Somehow it kind of makes you want to punch Pat in the face at some points and also makes you want to pat him in the back at some points. Like it's so weird. That movie's kind of amazing how it does that. Yeah. It's very rare where you see a larger than life figures faults in a movie like this. And I'm not saying that everyone who's ever been famous is, you know, a monster, but I think you do need to point out when people did bad shit and especially who, yeah, especially the leader of the FBI for 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just, it needs, it needs to be told. It needs to be told honestly, because to a lot of people, this is their history. This is how they're going to learn this stuff. Yes. Yes. So it is, it is important because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, Judas and the black Messiah has an IMDB score of 7.9 uh, current rotten tomatoes score of 96%. It's going to be available on HBO max for a month. So that's where you can stream it. Uh, so let's discuss some things we liked about the film itself. Yeah. We've talked a lot about the themes of it and pointed out some things we enjoy with the performances, but right from the get-go man um you're just you're just kind of kind of in the hands of a hands of a good filmmaker right away and that's when i was i felt like i was really comfortable the first 10 15 minutes of the movie i was like okay we're we're in territory you know like this movie is as good as everybody's saying you know when you when you see you see uh lakeith you know he says he's dressed up like humphrey bogart (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's he's got that whole bit on and he does he does his thing trying to like you know fucking steal from these guys essentially you're just kind of like wait a minute i thought this is a biopic about fred hampton you're like oh it's going to take this whole other angle and it's going to become like a fucking crime drama as well okay cool <laughs> really really amazing stuff i loved there was a scene uh where somebody's driving and the song deep gully by the outlaw blues band came on oh and yeah. i immediately recognized it as the song that cypress hill sampled for when the shit goes down yes and yes. there's no way that was an accident <laughs> that was so cool i was like oh my god yeah yeah i definitely you know i've brought up many of times the uh the danny mcbride scene and this is the end when he gets to wake up smoke and that song's playing and he ruins everybody's fucking day because he makes all the food amazing <laughs> <laughs> oh boy um, so there's some lines in this film that I think really work, uh, towards kind of explaining people's motivations. And there was one line that one of the, uh, one of the feds said, it was, uh, I'm all for civil rights, but you can't cheat your way to equality. Like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I love these people have to justify like, Hey, I'm not a racist, but here's some overly racist shit. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 America. That's America being like, we're cool. No, we're not. What? You... No, you're not. 
No, you're not. You got a lot of shit to, 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 to work on. <laughs> Extremely. And just these feds being like, look, I'm on their side. No, shut the fuck up. Like, at least embrace who you are and be, you know, honest about it. Stop hiding behind your fucking badge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So my favorite scene in the movie is when Fred Hampton goes to the uh, rebel flag redneck meeting. Oh, I was blown away. I was like, oh, shit, they're all going to get killed because they got the giant ass Confederate flag behind them. And they're preaching about how, you know, they've been cheated. And Fred goes in there and says, like, we all have the same enemy. Like the cops are the ones who fuck you over, too. And they they're like, yeah, like he's convincing these people like rednecks to join the Black Panthers. Like, (laughs) What the fuck? That is amazing. Yeah, that was a funny scene. <laughs> I couldn't believe that he, I couldn't believe that he did it. Those guys are standing with him in the the, uh, the Rainbow Coalition, yeah. which is such an amazing concept. Like he he was uniting everybody, like everyone who was oppressed by higher authority. That's amazing. I, God, you imagine like he would have been, he would have been a congressman. He would have been this like a senator. He would have been amazing, like if the fucking feds hadn't just destroyed his life. Yeah, God. Oh man, yeah. What? What he? What he? Not just he could have accomplished, what the party could have accomplished with his inspiration. You know, uh, I. I think it's you know he he said always like you know it's not just about me. It's about the party. It's about it's about culture. It's about a revolution. Yeah. And I'm I'm really glad that that that's kind of like getting through to people and that that's like a message that people can can hear right now through this movie. It's really cool. Definitely definitely some of the most powerful moments of the movie are when that stuff is kind of explained to you like what what this is, what this yeah. is about. Um I, I, yeah, found, found it to be found it to be really moving. I I I thought what what made this movie cuz I was expecting that stuff to happen. Mhm you know, you see some of the stuff in the trailer and, you know, Kaluuya is going to just kind of kill it in those speeches. What I was really blown away with were those real intimate scenes where like, uh, Algie Smith plays the, <clears throat> plays the, well, Ashton Sanders plays Jimmy Walker. That scene is pretty incredible where, where, uh, he goes in and shooting at these two cops and then, He's shot, goes to the hospital, and they find out that he was killed in the hospital. And that's when Kaleo goes and does his huge speech where he starts screaming, I am a revolutionary. And that's an amazing moment. Uh, and then you have Algie Smith's mom when he's she's speaking with Daniel Kaleo, uh, speaking with Fred Hampton. Unbelievable. Just in the kitchen, the phone's ringing. She's explaining it's like these stupid prank callers, you know, people messing with me because my son shot these cops. And it's just, it, it kind of just pulls you back to just this very, very kind of like subtle state. And you realize you're not watching, you know, not just a movie, but, you know, yeah, this is bringing it back to this really emotional place for these people who are losing, losing family members, losing children, losing you know, brothers, sisters, whatever it may be due, due to, you know, due to racism, due to, uh, at its root, you know, fascism, racism, and inequality. And 
when you just like confront that with a scenario between two characters, it's it sometimes can be, you know, really, really, really powerful stuff. And in this case, this movie kind of knocked out of the park every time it had one of those moments, uh, whether, it, whether it was with Daniel Kaluuya, uh, the, the scene with Dominic, Dominic Fishback with uh, Deborah Johnson, when she's just breaking down what's happening and gives you that kind of perspective on even Fred Hampton questions things at some point. Cause he's like, do you regret having my baby? You know? And like, even he's questioning what's happening right now. That that's incredible. When a movie can do that, it's doing all these things that we're talking about inside two hours. It's really amazing how it can stir all of those emotions. Well, you look at the, like the title of this film, Judas and the black Messiah. Yeah. I mean, it's not an accident that Fred Hampton in this film is really painted as kind of a Christ-like figure, a guy who was willing to give his life for what he believed in. And he says that constantly throughout the film is, you know, I, I know I'm not going to die of a bad heart or a car accident. Like I'm going to be killed. I know that like to live with that and still fight for, for what you believe in. That is, that's, that's, that's a hero. That's, that's being, that's someone to look up to someone to aspire to be. That's amazing. And he really does, you know, like you said, he does um, doubt himself. And, I like that the film reminds you that despite being, you know, a larger than life figure, he, he, he was, he was a man. He was a guy who he's 21. Yeah. 21 year old guy with the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he, you know, had a pregnant girlfriend and he knew that this was not a world that a child should grow up in. And he, he had to reconcile that with his beliefs and his goals with the party. And the film really, touches on that very well it shows you all sides of this guy and i wouldn't have it any other way yeah yeah man just really amazing stuff i think i think it you know the film altogether just moves moves kind of exactly how you want a biopic to move deep down and we've kind of highlighted (laughs) feel feels like every part of the movie i mean Cause that's how good it is. It's kind of like each scene, each performance is kind of worth it. Kind of worth, worth discussion, worth watching. My favorite scene is the, I am a revolutionary speech. I think that's the scene that's going to win Kaluuya the Oscar. I, he, he goes even farther in that scene. You can feel him like, you know, he's got a lot of emotions he's dealing with in that scene. He's got to be strong for the party, but he also is mourning a friend and he just, it comes out, it all combines into this like, you know, Maoist soup <laughs> where he's just like freaking out. And it's, it's, it's amazing. It's so great. I, oh God. Yeah. I'm going to be thinking about that scene for a long time. And then when Lakeith sees Roy in the, in the, uh, in the group and Roy <laughs> is standing there going, you know, I am a revolutionary. Like he's just, you know, lying through his teeth. It's crazy how, you know, these people were able to just do that, to just be that it's fucked up, but, um, Oh, it's, 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 it's absurd. It's (laughs) so absurd. Do do you like the reference to the Academy Award that's made (laughs) whenever they're talking? He's like, I didn't know. I don't know if you deserve the Academy Award or if you really believe this. 
I, I, I always think that when a movie does that, they're like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> come on cat come on academy listen come on <laughs> you mentioned the oscars you're fishing that was, yeah oh yeah i think so <laughs> i think i think i think mank is like at the end of the movie is like come on now <laughs> let's give it to gary oldman too yeah <laughs> oh my god do you think kaluuya is going to be up for lead or supporting because he's up for lead. supporting at the globes lead lead i yeah i think that's really silly um yeah. this is this is both their movie um there's no there's no need for one of them to take the the back seat. This is this is a movie that tells tells the story of Fred Hampton's, you know, last few years and mostly through the perspective of of another guy who happened to be heavily involved in what was happening, yeah. you know, uh, especially around his death. So yeah, I think yeah, I think I think they could both be up for best actor, but Kaluuya is a, just a powerhouse in this movie and you you the, the scene you pointed out you know that is that is the scene you know that doing that speech after jimmy walker dies and it's like he totally has the weight of chicago like on him on him and he has to deliver this not just inspiring speech but something that makes sense to them during yeah. a during during a time of of war during a time of just people dying left and right oh, crazy stuff He's got to take his anger and his mourning and his fear and channel it into something that's going to inspire an entire city. Yeah, it's nuts. Jesus Christ. So let's talk, let's touch briefly on the ending, which yes. is fucking horrific. Uh, it, I didn't think they were going to do it. I thought they were going to end it before the actual murder and kind of tell us in, you know, title cards of what that you know how fred was murdered but to actually see it like that i i couldn't like i couldn't breathe at times i was like just horrified of how that went down and yeah i mean i don't really know what else to say yeah when when you like for perspective especially when you're talking about movies it's like feels a little wrong when it seems like you're watching fucking zero dark 30 or something. Uh, it's totally shattering watching these people just, just coming in and just, you know, just mayhem. It's just complete like mayhem. It's like, it's like not hu- It's not human at all. You know? Uh, and like you said, you couldn't breathe. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know of many movies that just, just go there, just really, really go there. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for movies that, that try that. I think Catherine Bigelow's Detroit really went to a dark, dark place. And I think this movie goes to a really dark, dark place so that you don't, you're not, you, the audience does not deserve to be treated kindly. No, especially the white audience. No. Not at all. Not at all. You know, we, we, this is how you learn. But like putting a gun to Deborah's stomach. I mean, geez, that, that image is something else is uh, when she realizes what's happening, that he's been put to sleep. It's like, Oh my God, they've stopped shooting because they want to make sure that they get him. You know, it's, it's very, very hard to swallow. Very hard. Yeah. 
it's incredibly hard to swallow. And, uh, but you know, it's as much as I didn't want to see it, I agree with you that it does need to be seen that we need to know exactly how Fred Hampton was murdered by the police. Yes. Yeah. Just straight up assassinated. Yeah. Straight up by America. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God. And then America, America killing its own, own genius. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was a threat to their way of life. God. Who's yeah, and like whose way of life? You're not American. You're you're a fucking dictator. <laughs> you know, like Fred Hampton's American, you know, but you're killing you're killing an American, you're assassinating an American. It's so from from the just most basic, stupid, like a three-year-old can understand that this is just like stupid. Just stupid. <sighs> yeah, it's rough. And the um I love that we learned during, you know, through the title cards that Deborah Johnson is still an active member of the party. Uh huh. Yeah. Her son, Fred Hampton Jr., is the head of the the Chicago party. That is, I was, I, I had like a fuck yeah moment. Like I didn't know any of that. So to to find that out was like yes. It's just, mm, I love that. And uh, I hope they were involved in in the making of this film. I hope they like had something to say and like the way Fred was portrayed. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Sure, most most of the parties were involved that could be uh, doing this movie because it was yeah, it was it's pretty damn good, pretty damn good movie, and obviously brings up a lot of really important conversations. Yeah, and Bill O'Neill killed himself. I yeah yeah. How about that? They show that that interview footage of him just kind of like, look, I had to survive, you know. I was a part of the struggle too. You have to understand that. But hearing that from him was so fascinating. It makes you think about the movie in a whole different light. You're like, oh shit, you know, this character, like, how do I, how do I feel? How am I supposed to feel about this guy? And you're just, he's obviously a part of it. He agrees to do this. It's so yeah. crazy. It's but so only, crazy, man. He only agrees to do it after he's threatened with 15 years in prison. Yeah, exactly. So like, would you do it? Would I do it? I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't say, I can't say you can't say, I can't say we've never been down that, you know, we never had that fucking had to stare down the barrel of the gun. Like, no, I can't say. So it's fucking hard. It's very hard. So to choose that character for like the perspective of this movie is, is, is like brilliant. You could make a Fred Hampton biopic and I'm sure it would have been amazing. But you took it to another fucking level and implemented this other character who's got all these layers to him. And you give Lakeith Stanfield just all this great dialogue to, to work with. It's pretty much, pretty much perfect in, in, in the world of biopics. Pretty much perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought this was fantastic. Uh, so final scores. What are you thinking? Final scores, you know, uh, thought a lot about this today you know when you do like the first time watch you know you don't want to be too too hard on something or too you know like it too much but i but i i find that to be you know i'm going to go with my heart because last week i didn't go with my heart and i regret it regret it so <laughs> this week i am i'm i'm gonna go ahead and say nine for for judas and the black messiah i think this one's pretty special you know and not only that it had a pace of like the French connection and made me think of movies that I love from the sixties and seventies. So took me to that place and also taught me some stuff and gave me 
as a viewer and other people as viewers, some things to think about and some amazing performances along the way. Hell yeah, man. Love that passion. I, um, I give it an eight. It's a strong eight could, could rise. I, you know, me, it's very tough to push above an eight. I just, it's my base score for a great movie. Um, the performances are incredible. The story's engaging. The end is fucking horrific. And the film overall is a great watch. It's informative. It's educational, but it's also very passionate and uh, clearly has something to say. So, yeah, eight. Um, so to close out, we thought it would be kind of interesting if we talked about some of our favorite biopics. True stories are often so much stranger than fiction. And uh, what are some like all-time favorite true stories that you've seen in, on film? Ah, yeah. Biopics, true stories. Uh, I, I, there's, there's a lot that come to mind, but I, I definitely wrote down a few just to try to try to keep it, keep it short, you know, <laughs> cause I could, I could kind of go on forever. Any, doesn't matter what genre we're talking about. It's just, just fun to go on and on about, but um, so, some ones that I think we can talk about that I, I definitely am interested in are, uh, you know, my left foot, huh. uh, Christy Brown, you know, Danny DeLewis playing Christy Brown is really cool. Uh, Mank is a, is a recent one that I, I find to be really interesting. Uh, Hunger from 2008 about Bobby Sands. It's a Steve McQueen's movie. Amadeus from 1984. Uh, Social Network from 2010. I like to get a different, different kinds of palettes with the biopics and when these kinds of stories are being told. Uh, and those are some that definitely represent like my my fandom for these kinds of movies uh, of those um, Deus to me does the best trick where it has this massive, 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 you know, character large in life Mozart. And it takes, takes a different angle, you know, so you know, it takes a totally different angle. And I love that. Love when that happens. You know, you see that a lot in Judas and the black Messiah or kind of takes O'Neill's perspective. And I think that's really cool, man. You know, is that's one of my favorite tropes within this kind of subgenre. So uh, w- what are some ones that you love? Um, well, I've talked, there's a lot of films that I've talked about on these podcasts. Like I've mentioned judgment at Nuremberg, uh, Goodfellas. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Hacksaw Ridge is a favorite. Um, Moneyball, I think is amazing. One I, I oh, yeah. really, Billy, Billy Bean, yeah. One I haven't really gotten to talk about uh, that I really adore is uh, Milk from 2008. Oh, yeah, Sean Penn, Gus Van Sant, yeah. yeah. True story of Harvey Milk, the first openly gay man elected to uh, political office in the United States. And it's an incredible story about a very inspirational man who, again, like Fred Hampton, was murdered before his time. And... I love stories about people who paved the road for who would come after people who opened the door for the first time. And milk is a great story. It's a great lesson and it's it's a tearjerker straight up. Uh, Yeah. I I love biopics so much. There's, I could name so many Uh, straight out of Compton's another one theory of everything. Um, Tucker, the man in his dream, which is an oddball, but a good one vice like there's just there's so many amazing stories throughout the entire planet's history and the more we find the more we learn the better we can start you know 
tightening the screws on these things. And uh, I look forward to that. Yeah, I mean, uh, we did an episode on Z. That's yeah. basically a biopic. They just had to lie a little bit about the <laughs> about the the whereabouts of the film. Yeah, just it's such a fascinating place to go when you're talking about real life people that affected real history and people either look up to or you know can't stand. I love that. I love it when you take a divisive person and just kind of put it out there. Yeah. And there's one more I'd like to spotlight because we were talking about Nicolas Cage earlier. Uh, there's this 2016 biopic called Army of One that tells the true story of a man named Gary Faulkner, who is a handyman who claimed that God had given him a mission to find and capture Osama bin Laden. This was a true story. This is a man with no weapons experience. No, he was not a soldier. He had no training in anything. He flew to Pakistan and was immediately arrested by the police in Pakistan and sent back home. But this movie tells his story in such a creative way. Russell Brand plays God, who is there to guide him. It's the weirdest movie, but it's so interesting. There's a scene towards the end where Gary Faulkner's, like Nick Cage's character, Gary Faulkner, is talking about who he would want to play him in a movie. And he brings up, well, I saw that movie Con Air. And what about Nick Cage? I think he'd do a great job. So it's, it's so meta and so layered and so weird. It's, it's a great story. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so, yeah, some of our favorite biopics. And that's a subject that'll be coming up a lot on all of these shows. Uh, true, there's never, you know, there's no shortage of true stories out there. And we're always finding yeah. more. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, this film, of the films we've talked about on the show, it, it's the best movie we've, we've done on Sneak Preview. So far, you know, we've done Pieces of a Woman, The Little Things, Malcolm and Marie. Uh, what else? Um, we've what talked am, about what am I missing? Stuff, but as far as like full episodes, uh, let me check. Um, one Night in Miami. Oh, yeah, there we go. That was pretty good. Yeah, I like this one the best for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm looking at the list of the films I've watched this year so far. And yeah, I think this is my favorite as well. Hell yeah, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. People, uh, obviously if you've gone this far, you've, you've probably seen the film cause we spoiled the shit out of it. So, uh, <laughs> hope, hope you enjoyed. And, uh, I mean, this, this train does not stop rolling next week. We got really cool stuff happening on this show and Oscar Sunday. See, I don't ever feel bad about spoiling biopics cause that's history. If you don't know that, that's your own. Fault. Yeah. <laughs> true, true, true. Um, so that is all for this week. Next week, we finally get to watch Chloe Zhao's critically acclaimed Nomadland coming to Hulu next Friday. Been looking forward to this for quite a while. This is a film that's been like evading us. And now we finally get to watch it. Um, also in theaters is The Mauritanian, a political biopic starring Jodie Foster and Benedict Cumberbatch. So I'll try to check in on that as well. Uh, tune in next week to see what we end up talking about. On the Filmgasm podcast this Wednesday, don't miss Josh and I discussing 1981's My Bloody Valentine. And on Oscar Sunday, don't miss Austin and I discussing 1996's Fargo. Uh, also, tune in Friday, March 5th for a new podcast, Guys Who Giggle, which will be all about comedy movies. Can't wait for that. Uh, thanks for listening. Have a great week. Keep watching movies. Mm-hmm.